reading from the second chapter of the Philippians, beginning with verse 1. Excuse me, of Paul's letter to the Philippians, beginning with verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, And became obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him. And gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bend. In heaven. And on earth. And under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you enabling you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of the fringe benefits of being a pastor that nobody told me about in seminary was you get to have all these weird things happen to you in a moment's notice. Things that you just could never expect. Phone calls that you could have never have seen coming. I got one of those in maybe the second week of ministry, I think it was. Something I should have looked it up, but I figured just memory was good enough. That okay with y'all? I got a phone call from a lady at one of my churches who said, so-and-so is dead, you need to go check on them. (laughs) I think maybe I'd been there long enough to have met so-and-so if that was possible. But so-and-so hadn't been there. And I asked, well, who is so-and-so? And she said, well, they're a member of our church. I said, okay. Where do they live? I don't know. <laughs> Something to that effect. The conversation was weird. Very, but it gets stranger. The story gets stranger. So I went over to meet the widow. 
And she ended up being a great friend to me and, and prayed for me, and she was a really great person. But I heard one of the saddest stories of leaving a church I have ever heard. It was borderline pathetic. But it seems worthy of sharing, and they're both dead and gone, so I can't embarrass them, so I can share it. And they're not going to hear it anyway, because they're paying attention to Jesus right now, right? So what happened was, there was a fish fry at the church. And something like that. And the man decided that the fish fry would go much quicker if he helped cook. Because he had a better tool to cook with. And he had this thing that many of us have called a fish cooker. You know what I'm talking about? It's a little propane burner that's on legs, and you put a big giant pot on it, and you put a bunch of grease in it, and then you drop stuff in it and cook it, right? For some reason, this is wanting to turn into a Thanksgiving story because of those Allstate commercials. Y'all have seen those, right? The guy comes out, and he's telling you that when you put your frozen turkey in the thing to move it away from your fence, and they show the barn, the, the garage burning up, and under, right? And he says, you're in good hands with Allstate, but not with yourself because you burned your house down. Because you put frozen stuff in the fish cooker or turkey cooker. Well, it turns out that this well-intentioned man, his idea was to bring his fish cooker inside the fellowship hall and they could cook in there. It would be more comfortable and they would get done quicker. Anybody have a problem with that idea? Is it just me? He left the church because they told him no. Because his idea to him was that important, right? That's why. He had it figured out. He had a brilliant idea that was going to save the church time, get everything done right. And they left the church. He quit teaching Sunday school, had no fellowship to the church to the point that some of them didn't even remember who he was when he died. You want to know how many people from the church showed up at his funeral in his yard? Zero. What separated him? Was it the people not liking him? No, he separated himself. And how did he do that? Pride. The same culprit that gets us all the time. Pride separates us from our friends when we demand they treat us certain ways because of who we are. Pride separates us from loved ones. It separates us from all kinds of people. And Paul would like for us to know today that our Lord, the one we come here to worship, the risen Lord Jesus, completely emptied Himself of His pride and He was the only human being who ever had any realistic reason to have pride in the first place. Because He was in the very form of God, He said. Paul also says that in Jesus, the fullness of the deity dwelt in bodily form. He's God. But guess what he did? He chose to empty himself. He didn't consider his equality with God something to be grasped and held on to. But instead, he decided to come to us in our likeness, in the form of a slave, to look like the people who were enslaved to sin and death.
And what happened to that poor saint that couldn't separate himself from being told he couldn't use his fish cooker in the fellowship hall was that he forgot that there was something more important than being right. He didn't see this example that Jesus gave. He didn't follow it. And it seems so simple, doesn't it? But we do it all the time. It's the reason that there's 3,569 trillion denominations of Christians in the world. Because we couldn't slow down being right long enough to grieve being separated. Should it not separate us that we are separated from other Christians by things as simple as how we hold the cup in worship? Or how we receive communion? Whether we use wine or grape juice. Whether we use little cut squares of loaf bread or a full loaf. Some of the things that have separated churches are minuscule and horribly unimportant all the way down to whether or not I can use my fish cooker in the fellowship hall. The other horrible thing I saw one time was carpet. The color of carpet can tear a church up. Because we forget whose church it is. We forget who it is who poured himself out for the church. Not David, but Christ. The one who is God, who came down, took on our likeness, the likeness of a slave, and humiliated himself on a cross for us. He poured himself out just like you would pour out a glass of water on the ground. Poured out all of his sense of self and who he was. All of his rights as almighty God. He gave up to come and be part of your life. It's the gospel, the good news that Christ came to us. Somebody told me one time that I should teach in my sermons what other religions teach. (laughs) It's not going to happen but this one time. My job is not to proclaim the Baha'i faith. It is not to proclaim Buddhism or to make comparisons between Buddhism and Christianity. My my job is to proclaim Christ. It's what He told me to do. But I want you to know this. If you follow all those other world religions that I learned about in social studies in high school, you're going to keep tenets. You're going to keep beliefs. You're going to keep practices. You're going to do this or do that. You're going to wear this or wear that. All in the hope that you might make yourself acceptable to a divine being and be drawn closer and closer into some semblance of paradise that you might be able to attain to a greater knowledge or a greater hope or a greater sense of inner peace, that you might be able to do something that would elevate yourself and draw you closer and closer to God. But what Paul is teaching us and what Christianity has always taught is that in the person of Jesus Christ, the Jesus of Nazareth, that God came to us. In our lowly estate, to join with us in our filth, to save us from ourselves and from our desire to make ourselves perfect all on our own.
I don't know about you, but every time I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to perfection, somebody reminds me I'm not perfect. That happened to y'all? Every time I start feeling good about who Dave is, somebody reminds me that I'm not quite what I think I should be yet. (laughs) And it's not always intentional. But those things come and we get those checks and we get those reminders that I can't make myself acceptable to God. And God, knowing that, came to make me acceptable and to make you acceptable. God humbled God's self in the form of a slave, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, to die our death and to die the most shameful death that humanity has ever thought of, to nail somebody to a wooden post, to nail somebody to a tree naked and have people come by and scoff at them and mock them. How dare the church decide to be too proud to be amongst our neighbors? To be too proud to step down and love people who are less than we are. How dare we decide who is in and who is out? How dare we decide that some people don't get to come to the table because they're not baptized like we are? Who do we think we are? He poured Himself out. Emptied Himself of all of His glory. Of all of everything He was. His power and everything except His love. And His mercy for us. And He chose to stay nailed to shame. To stay nailed to a cross while people laughed at Him and said, Save yourself, Messiah. Save yourself. And He endured that for me and for you. And for every single person that we have ever hated at any moment in our lives. Every person we have ever made fun of. Every person we have ever mocked because they were different than we are. Every person we have ever disliked because they don't think like we do. Jesus hung on that post of shame for them as well. And the Apostle Paul wants us to remember that. So that we might be inspired to have that same mind in ourselves, To have those same thoughts and dare to make other people more important than we are in our own lives. It's a radical concept. But dear ones, that is the heart of Christianity. Because it was the heart of Christ. To humble himself and take up our form and die our death and die the most shameful death that humanity has ever created. To be with us. How should that influence how we live? How should that influence how we treat others? So I want to ask you the same questions that Paul Ask in the first part two. He, he says, if then, and what he means is since. He wants the church with wrestle with what we have experienced in Christ. So I want to ask you, children, children of God and servants of the risen Christ, have you experienced any encouragement in Jesus? If you have, would you just say yes or amen, something, anything? Have you felt any encouragement from your faith in Christ? Anything at all? 
Have you ever felt that you were sharing in God's Spirit as you worshipped Christ, as you served others with other Christians? Have you ever felt that somewhere in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit was part of your life? Have you ever experienced God's compassion in your life? Have you ever had a moment where you realized that Jesus is sympathetic with you and your struggles? Because he struggled your struggles too. Have you ever? Have you ever wanted your joy to be complete? Paul's encouragement to us today is to get over ourselves. Isn't that how we say it? That's how people say it. Oh, David, get over yourself. (laughs) That's usually when I remember that I'm not as perfect as I think. The apostles calling us to get over ourselves and elevate others. And in that, in that, we have the experience of God making our joy complete and of God at work in us. And when the apostle says all these things to us, he wants us to know that it's up to us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling of what? That we might not be willing to empty ourselves, I think. That we might not be willing to let go of our own opinions long enough to love another human being. But he reminds us that we don't have to do it on our own. When he says, God is at work in you. I wonder, dear ones, do you believe God is at work in you? You can respond to that one too. Do you hope that God will continue to be at work in you? So do I. And that's the gospel. That Christ came down to us to lift us out of the pit of filth that we have thrown ourselves into because we can't. To change our minds. And so my hope today my hope for me is that I, as I come to Christ's table today that I will truly be losing my mind and taking up the mind of Christ. Because I can vouch for my mind that it likes to be first. It likes to be affirmed. I like for people to like me. But what I really need is the mind of Christ that will want other people to be affirmed and liked. So my hope today is that I come to this table and receive the body and blood of Christ, the life of Christ into my own hands. That I will be willing to let Jesus change my mind. If humility is good enough for Him, It's good enough for David. I hope that today you will consider that it's good enough for you. Think about that as you come to his table.
Amen.